crippling thoughts and dramatic mysteries, wonderful worlds of fantasy, denying love of the heart that beats within your chest, or is it just your imagination? Let's dive into a world of novels as we read books from all over, from writing and reading reviews to interviews, one-on-one sessions, and honest writing opinions. Let's keep it real on Mystical Mode. What's good, you guys? Mystic here, and welcome to another episode of Mystical Mode, where I give you guys my best opinions and hopefully you won't kill me for them later. Today, we're reviewing the story, The Renaissance of War, by author Kim, who is also the proud and amazing writer of The Silent Witness, which is up on Inkip, you guys. I tell you, these stories are phenomenal and have such great work. Oh my god, The Silent Witness by far was one of, one of my favorite stories written by this author of all time. They also have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So like, follow, share, and more. You guys get the gist of it. But in their bio it states, Assassin's Creed, Narnia, Lord of the, Wing- Lord of the Rings, A Song of Fire and Ice, Percy Jackson, Harry Potter, Edgar, and any of any fantasy story is better than reality. I'm creating my own and you were all invited. Oh my gosh. Imagine making your own world. Kim does a beautiful job of writing in her own way and also creating different worlds, time periods, and definitely people. They're all just so different and so fabulous. I just can't even get over it. Every character that she makes is different. Every character that she makes has development and has a plot. Every character is themselves. And as far as I can tell, I've not seen a repeat of any characters within her stories. And that is another phenomenal thing. We hate repetition. But aside from that, we are going to be reviewing the story Renaissance of War. Renaissance of War is a historical fiction type of novel if you want to be technical about it. It tells the truth about history itself, as far as I can tell. I'm no historian, but I do know about World War One, and I do know the basic foundations of it. I know kind of how it started, where it started now. If you ask me where like the battles took place, um, geography is now my strong suit. But aside from that, as I've read through it, it does hold good key points in history. It, it honestly does. It does tell... It does tell the right story of World War One. It does give the right names. I believe it gives some to the right battles. If finish, like I said, I'm not a historian, so I'm not 100% accurate. But as far as I can tell, it's pretty accurate, at least to me. Like I said, I am no historian, but I do know about the topic to a certain extent. Aside from that, let me stop blabbing on and on and on. Let's get into the story as we get into a more mystical mode. Warning, this episode may include strong language, mature themes, descriptions of blood and gore, viewer discretion advised for mature audiences only. Back to the episode. Chapter 1 1945, the year of World War II came to an end. Ever since Winston Churchill gestured the famous B sign, the world felt, for the first time in many years, 
a sense of relief, overwhelming joy, and above all, peace. For years, the world had been torn apart by a war so foul and led by men whom many believed came straight of hell itself, that the future had nothing to look forward to but death and destruction. Homes were destroyed, families ripped apart, and for young boys, toys were taken out of their hands and replaced them with weapons, trained to kill another human being. Back then, turning 16 no longer meant you became a man. You were made a soldier overnight. Herbert Matthews was such a young lad, his best friend, Philip Newton, joined him when the call came to fight Mussolini and his fascists in 1943. The battle would go down in history, remembered as Operation Husky. The plan was simple enough. Enter and occupy Sicily, then move into Italian mainland. When Hitler declared war in 1939, many adventurous young men rushed to enlist. The idea of fighting in battle and returning home as a decorated war hero was always on their minds. The stories of World War I were still fresh in the minds of the previous generation who had fought in what was called the Great War. But their stories were too horrendous to discuss. Many never spoke of it at all. Before the call came in 1943, Herbert and Philip had married their longtime sweethearts. Herbert married Catherine, and Philip married Susan. It landed up being a double wedding, and not long after, both wives were with child. But the call of duty came and could not be ignored. Herbert was rather hesitant in leaving his home in South Africa and with a child on the way. He had important things to think about now. Philip, on the other hand, was impulsive and couldn't wait to enlist. Herbert owned a barbershop downstairs from his apartment, while Philip inherited his father's hotel and became its manager upon his father's death. Come back to me soon, whispered Catherine on the day of their departure. I mean alive, not in a box. He held her gaze for a while and gently put his hand on her now protruding belly. I promise. Hitler won't scare me as he had done to the world. You're not fighting him, reminded his wife. You're going up against those who follow in the mezzanine. A man whose crimes are equal in measure to Hitler. Herbert shrugged. Then I'll smack him around so I can come home in time to see our child born. Herbert was trying to make light of the situation. He too had heard of the atrocities Mussolini was getting up to and was the architect in creating the fascist party years before. A disturbing movement for any country deemed as free. While he was saying goodbye to Catherine, Philip was having a hard time getting Susan to understand the meaning of duty. Damn it, I don't care! She sobbed. I don't want my husband fighting in a war. He never you have started. To. Philip said, trying to look upset at the thought of leaving. You don't want a coward for a husband, do you? No! I, I want my husband to be one who is there for me. For Hugging I... Belly, he tried to reason with her and replied, Look, the First World War only took four years. Maybe this one will finish itself within the next year. He hugged her while she sobbed in his chest. Please, please, come home the minute you are able. She whispered in between sobs. Philip tipped her chin up and kissed her. <gasps> I will. I will be back before you even know I was even gone. As the ship departed from the harbor in Cape Town to join the British, Herbert and Philip were waving to their wives. Catherine had one protective hand on her belly while waving her handkerchief, and Susan was sobbing, waving as well. This is going to be quite an adventure. Philip beamed, rubbing his hands in anticipation, as the ship began to sail out of the harbor towards the destination. How are you feeling? Homesick already.
murmured Herbert. Oh, come on! Where is your sense of adventure? Philip said, clapping his friend on the shoulder. Herbert looked longingly in the direction of Cape Town, while Philip was smiling in the direction the ship was sailing. I don't know about you, but I get tired of reading the same story over and over and over again. I just want to spice things up and really get out there, and I definitely have spiced up my reading list by adding The Silent Witness by author Kim. This story brings into a new light of Greek mythology, folklores, and just general legends. It is an amazing read that I highly recommend to anybody with a fantasy tooth who just can't wait to dig into new lining of life. So, with that in mind, read The Silent Witness and definitely, definitely enjoy. Link is in the bio. Chapter 2 Herbert was only 20 years old at the time and had gained considerable recognition for his practical thinking, wit, and ability to stay focused when in dire moments. He was quickly elevated to lieutenant and was the head of a platoon that consisted of 25 men. Philip, who was a year younger than Herbert, was amongst them and very proud of his friend's achievements. Hailing from South Africa, they had natural tanned skin as they were always outside and never bothered how the sun would beat down upon them. However, Due to them forever having to take cover and stay in the dark shadows and trenches so as not to be seen by the enemy, the skin began to pale over time. The constant bombing guns and artillery went on and on until the noise became second nature to the soldiers. Their eyes began to strain from having to constantly look out for any landmines and enemies, leaving both men tired, drained, and somewhat exasperated. It had been almost a year, and though they eventually liberated the inhabitants of Sicily and found their way into the Italian mainland, they were beyond exhausted. Herbert, with bloodshed eyes, was looking out of the trench to see any enemies he could gun down. Philip, however, was a bit shell-shocked, but insisted on carrying on with his watch duty. Over the months, they made many friends, smoking cigarettes and joking together while anxiously waiting for orders from their superiors to move further inland. While waiting around, wondering when their orders would be given, a bomb hit and Philip looked with terror as the smoke subsided and his friends. Stephen, who moments ago was smoking and laughing with him, was gone. Only his boots remained. No one saw or heard the bomb coming, but when it did, it left Philip with such a mental breakdown that his superiors thought it best he turned home. Not wanting to be labeled a coward, and after hearing how soldiers during World War I were even executed for cowardice and desertion due to shell shock, he confidently told everyone he was fine. But Herbert heard his cries at night, but thought better not to speak of it. If anyone were to speak of the carnage they had all witnessed these past few months should come from Philip himself. Catherine wrote many loving letters, but the one Herbert really treasured was the birth of his daughter, Amanda. He wished to have been there and to hold her, but he knew he had to fight and win this war so that Amanda could grow up not knowing the horrors her father is currently facing. Susan sent letters too. Though they were few and far between, she had given birth to a son named James, after Philip's father. He couldn't have been more proud. During the time he was displaying negative mental behavior, Herbert would casually remind him that he has a son waiting back home for him. This was the only way Herbert knew how to motivate Philip to carry on with their mission and to stay alive for the sole purpose. A few weeks later, a bomb hit the trench and the enemy closed in just after the platoon moved more inland. But Herbert could not leave his men behind who were being peppered with bullets. 
He knew his actions were futile, but he had to make sure there was at least one survivor he could save. He saw a few of the enemies running in all directions and would use his cult to bring them down. He continued with his search to find his men. Amazingly, there were four men still stuck under the debris and was able to get them out, and luckily, none of them were too injured that proved them immobile. And so they headed towards where the rest of the platoon made camp. Herbert was awarded a medal for bravery, and everyone cheered, except Philip. As the days went by, many of the men kept talking of Herbert's selfless act to the point where Philip would explode with rage and walk away to spend time alone with his thoughts. Herbert could no longer use James as a means of reasoning with Philip, and so he was forced to leave him alone, though the absence of his friend greatly troubled him. Just as Philip was alone with his thoughts, Herbert felt very much alone not having his friend by his side. Susan made matters worse by sending less and less letters, all the while Catherine would send Herbert so many that Philip's jealousy spiked. The two hardly spoke and it hurt Herbert when Philip lashed out at him for his decoration of bravery and leader of the pack, a mocking title he gave Herbert. In October 1944, the Germans and Italians found the compound and bombed it with everything they had. The massacre was dreadful. After a few hours, Herbert woke up with a start, covered with debris as the roof of the compound caved in and covered him completely. He realized that he had been out for hours and as the dust had finally settled, he looked like a ghost. He took in the carnage the enemies had dealt them. Body parts, broken walls, and eerie sound of actual silence made him want to scream. He stayed in the same place for hours, in fear that the enemy were still lurking around, but eventually he managed to crawl out of the compound. Even though every muscle in his body was screaming in protest, he looked around and saw no one. He called for anyone, especially Philip, but no reply came. He felt nauseous when he looked at the wreckage all around him. What seemed to be bits of body parts of the commanding officer and others in his platoon could be seen everywhere. He turned back and staggered for miles towards the last place they had been before they were commanded to move further inward. As he reached the alley base, he was lightheaded and parched. He heard shouts from the alleys and felt hands helping him to the infirmary before passing out. He was almost unrecognizable with his bloodied face, broken leg and ribs along his dislocated shoulder. It was inevitable that he had to go back home. He was unable to talk, first due to his screaming for his friends to the point where his voice became hoarse and then total exhaustion settled in. On a ship bound for South Africa, he was lying in bed, completely wrapped in plaster of Paris and braces for his neck, shoulder, and leg. He was in extreme pain and physically exhausted, but mentally, he was finished. He was more ashamed that he was not there to save his friend Philip, whose fate he never managed to find out. There was a part of him that wanted to know what happened, but at the same time, after seeing the grotesque body parts and the bloodshed that befell them all around their compound, the other part of him didn't want to know. He wanted to remember his friend as the bubbly person he was, not a random soldier killed in a war that was not engineered by him or his country. He began to weep. Life would never be the same again. He came back home to an overjoyed Catherine and their daughter, who had just begun to walk. Susan, on the other hand, was completely devastated at the grave news Herbert had given to her. While little James sat silent and oblivious on the bench, watching the ships in the harbor, Herbert kept the horrid details to himself, sparing Susan the grisly scenario of the terror of war and its consequences. He also volunteered to have her move to a flat nearby his home so he could watch out for her and make sure she'd be well taken care of, but she decided to stay in the block of flats three blocks away that she and Philip had rented before they left for war. She was distant sometimes, cold, and hardly let James go out and meet with the other children playing in the streets. 
making him rather unsociable to all the other kids in the neighborhood. 1945 came and the world rejoiced. Hitler committed suicide just as the Allies closed in from all sides around Berlin and Mussolini was shot dead by a member of the group known as the Italian Resistance Movement, who had greatly opposed the Fascist Party and its dictator. Mussolini's body was later hung upside down in public alongside with his mistress and other members of the Fascist Party and everyone cheered at the scene. The treaties that Germany and Italy had to sign made the world rejoice, for their loved ones were coming home and the war was finally over. Soldiers were on their way to their hometowns and life would be as it was before the stench of the war was in everyone's noses. But the one person who was really having a hard time adapting to these new times was Herbert himself. How could he? A decorated war hero, come back and carry on as a barber, pretend as if nothing happened. He never spoke of what he had witnessed and experienced. He had endless nightmares of those dark days, and Catherine would many nights wake him up from his in-between of murmuring in his sleep to outright screaming. She had been very patient with him, and never pushed him to speak of his time at war. He was feeling terrible for all the men in his platoon, and constantly questioned why he was the only one to survive. Herbert was suffering from terrible bouts of survivor's guilt, Catherine noted. Many of his clients were old veterans from World War I, and he was grateful that he did not pry in his life as a soldier of war. They too were once soldiers and never spoke of it. His father told him years ago to never ask them what happened, for it played on the mind, and as anyone would know, the mind was the greatest trap of all. It had been six years since the war ended, and he and Catherine had a new addition to their family, a son named Adrian. Amanda was their father's delight, and he spent as much time as he could with her. He still felt guilty that he was not there for her first breath, but everyone knew he had no control over that. Adrian seemed to take more after Catherine, compassionate for his tender age and very loving. It had also been a few years since they last heard from Susan. She could no longer take the hotel and his inquisitive guests, so she packed up and moved to live with her parents' home in Bayfort West. Susan was not one for specifics, but the sudden move after all these years did not seem to Catherine as a result of ignorant, nosy people. No, something else bothered her, but never got the full story as Susan sent them a short and curt letter, thanking them for their help. But she needed to move on, and the letter ended rather abruptly. Although Catherine had moved on, slowly at first, getting over Susan's sudden departure, the death of Philip never left Herbert's mind. The guilt, the scenario, the stench of war was always around him. Even though it had been a little over six years now, Herbert never stopped thinking about his friend and the shame that weighed on him greatly. He would, in his quiet times, think only of him, and his face was so bright and cheerful, talking about how they would make a difference in the war and bring their enemies to their knees. The dreams of youngsters and the reality of the world never went hand in hand, and he had learned that the hard way. Hey guys, Mystic here. Help support the podcast with monthly donations. Reviewing novels is a highlight of my life, and I adore all of your novels and comments. Help us keep the podcast alive and to help pay our wonderful team of editors and voice actors. Till next time, catch you guys later. Wow, wow, and wow. What a 
a sad ending to chapter two but if you guys want to know more read the renaissance of war by author kim on inkit and so much more but aside from that it's notes time and i have a lot for this story honestly i was writing on and on and on it kind of feels like the whole entire page but we're gonna get through it all and hopefully in a timely manner my first thing is they you check the um box for guys when i mean check the box i mean most of the stories well actually not most all of the stories now on will be read only through google forms so if you personally make a form and submit it to me then i will literally go in chronological order and then we will post them by said order it makes it so much easier on my life and also gives me an extra piece of paper to look off of just in case there's some extra things you guys want to tell me about extra things that i feel like i should know and kind of more rating stuff and just how i see you and it's also good down to write notes instead of them coming straight from your noggin yeah especially with somebody with adhd <coughs> it couldn't be me but aside from that we're going to talk about first genre. They you only check the box for thriller, but I also saw signs of adventure because they're fighting in a war. That's not adventurous, but it does revolve around action. And that's also another box that I checked as well. It gives like an action because they're in the middle of the war, they're fighting in the trenches. So yeah, I checked like action. It has parts of adventure because you're going somewhere different. Of course, it's not a fun adventure, but not all adventures are fun. Some are death-defying, crazy, and will get you killed. Aside from that, I also saw tracks, mm, small tracks of mystery. I only really truly saw it in your summary. Like the summary that you post about your story before everybody else reads it. Like I mainly just saw it in there. So basically when I was like looking through it, I was just like, oh, he's receiving letters. Weird stuff is happening. A guy with one leg walks up into Lee's apartment. Like everybody's just losing their crap. So I can definitely like, I see that. I see that. So I see like little hints of mystery in there as well. And also I checked other because guess what? It's sort of historical. Like I had mentioned before, I am no historian. I do not know history. I know history. Like American history is one of my favorite subjects to study in history in general. What I am saying is that I'm not a historian. So as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, most of those, um, what am I thinking of? Most of like the events so far in the story have been, you know, correct. As far as I can tell. Don't quote me on this, historians. I don't need like a five-page essay about like, oh, this is not correct. This is not well to me to some extent it is. So that's why I also checked other because guess what? It's kind of historical. Now, guys, do not take this book and take it to a history exam test or whatever like that. I swear to you, you are going to fail. Not the author's fault, just your fault for not setting your sources and for not finding a reliable source to use. Yeah, we're, this is not that type of historical. It's historical fiction where the characters aren't real, but the events in the story are sort of real to an extent. Like I said, and I will repeat constantly, constantly, I'm not a historian. But aside from that, I thought your summary was really, really cool. I like the historical background. I, as I am, like, like I said, I am familiar with World War One. I. I never read a, I never really read a novel with historical facts in it. Like it's like cool. 
it's like really really cool i never read a story that like kind of like revolves around the fact like oh this is what's happening in history and here's our my made-up characters like i know these types of stories definitely exist where they literally take historical events and make fictional characters but it's based off of a true story i just never had the liberty of reading one and i'm happy that i'm taking the liberty to be sent one and reading one currently the target age though for this guys is 16 and up so if you are not 16 and up why are you still here? Leave, child. You are not welcome here. Leave immediately. I do not want another five-page paragraph. Not five-page paragraph. Five-page essay from a parent telling me why making my children listen to this. Don't do it. I don't need that. You don't need that. We don't need that. We cool. We Gucci. Good. Aside from that... Oh, God, I, I'm begging you guys, please don't read this if you were under 16. But aside from that, they also read the writing capabilities around an 8. And I agree with that because I have read The Silent Witness. The Silent Witness was really, really good for me in over, overall. But the Renaissance of War kind of took like a backtrack for me. It's like, like that um, analogy that I made the other day. Uh, when you literally, like, say if you like, go to a fancy restaurant and like you eat breadsticks, right? The breadsticks they be smacking but like really really good and then they get the food and it's mcdonald's you're like uh, uh. so for me the renaissance of war wasn't as good as the silent witness not because it was fantasy or not because it's historical fiction and i'm not familiar with it and it's the first time i'm being introduced to it no i actually like historical fiction now because you brought it up i actually might go along and like read more stories just about that I know there are some stories, like a series novel called I Survived, about a 12-year-old African-American child who like went through like Pompeii or something like that, or he went through the Civil War. Don't quote me, I honestly do not know. But aside from that, I would rate your writing capabilities about an 8, but for this story, it kind of like backtracked for me. Maybe because you didn't spend as much time as you normally would, this story is technically new as it only has like 5 or so chapters out yeah yeah five chapters so it only has like five chapters out which is completely fine it's understandable um so it just needs like a lot of editing so much more but i definitely know you can write up to a level of an eight but right now this story is like a level like like a level five for me right now just because like i said it is new so don't like feel hard about it it's new it's brand new only has five chapters out you're testing out your limits i don't know if you have previously written historical fiction before so this could be a totally new element to you which is completely fine we're all here to learn we're all here to like try to figure out what to do how to do like hell i am actually still oh i'm trying to not be as biased to romance as i've been in the past as i've strained myself to read more romance i've gotten more used to the stupid sappy cheesy pickup lines but i'm just like honey that man's not good for you that man's not good for me it's not good for anyone but we're not gonna talk about that aside from that fact i feel like you can do a lot better and i can't wait to see if you do a lot better because like i said it's only chapter five you can do so much more with this it's amazing aside from that let's talk about some of these notes that i have because i have a lot and we only have a limited amount of time to talk about them for one i find it how oh my god this should not be the first point but the first point is 
Ironic how Philip acts. Where is your sense of adventure? And he ends up dead in the end. I found that so ironic. He's like, where's your sense of adventure, my friend? We're going into the unknown. Ouch. That that pitch killed me too. But aside from that, he was just like, where's your sense of adventure? Dead. Come on, bro. Let's go into this stark and spooky cave. Dead. Oh, let's not drive in the car that's literally going to be going away from the mass murderer. We're just going to hide behind the chainsaws. Dead. Just dead. I, I just can't. It just reminded me of all those things. And I just died laughing. I was like, oh my god, poor Philip. Poor Philip. But ironic. So very ironic. But aside from that, um, one of the notes that I really didn't get is that the dialogue was confusing as Catherine, Catherine is Herbert's Herbert. Herbert. Oof. Imagine. I'm not judging your character's name. I'm just saying that's, that's a weird name. Herbert. It sounds like Sherbert. Hmm. Aside from that, the dialogue was confusing as Catherine, Catherine is Herbert's wife, yet Philip is the one who's saying that he has no choice, he has to leave. Like in the beginning first chapter, she's just like, you don't have to fight in this bloody war that my house is not even part of. And then it says, Philip says... Do you want your husband to be a coward? But Catherine, it's Herbert's wife. Unless I'm just mistaken about that. Because, I don't know. I, it might be mistaken, but Herbert is Catherine's wife. And Philip, oh, Herbert's wife is Catherine. And Philip's wife is Susan. Yet, when she says, don't leave me behind, Philip is the one who's saying, I have to go, do you want me to be seen as a coward? I just didn't get that. That might be like a typo somewhere along the line of life. Maybe you accidentally put in the wrong name because they're two different characters. Like, I do the same thing when I start a new novel as well. Like, when I first start a novel, I'll be like, oh, this is not said that, that, and that. But then, like, when I first get introduced to two new characters, I'll kind of switch their names up by accident, back and forth. It's totally a bad thing and a bad habit that I'm working on kicking. But maybe you just did the same thing. I don't know. Either way, it was just... sounded weird to me. My two advice... My two... The two points that I can give you for advice is probably either change the dialogue or make Susan present in that scene overall. Because they're saying good... Either even if even if Susan wasn't in that scene, and it was just literally just like, and Philip just happened to be there, they're saying goodbye to one another. Herbert and <laughs> I'm not gonna go over that name. Herbert and Catherine are saying goodbye to one another, like they're married. They're saying goodbye. They both have a child on the way. Like it's sad. It's depressing, and stuff like that. So wouldn't Philip's wife Susan also be present during that time? saying, oh, I miss you too, yada, 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 switching back and forth between scenes, or you can just have them at Herbert's house, and they're breaking up and going away, then they meet up, and, like, then Philip, at the same time, is breaking up and going away, and then they meet up, and they go and say, where's your sense of adventure, my friend? Dies. But, aside from that, it just makes more sense, at least to me it does, because I just really, really did not get it at first. I don't know. I'm, I really feel like either Susan should be present or Philip should go kick rocks and meet up with Herbert later on in life. Because they're both leaving their wives and their wives are surprisingly both pregnant at the same time. Like, I don't know. I, maybe that's planned. I feel like best friends definitely do plan that. 
uh, friends are weird. Like, they'll be like, oh, pregnant pack. And I'll just be like, uh-huh, single pack. Yeah, that's not for me. But aside from that, maybe it's a pack thing. I don't know. But they're pregnant at the same time, have their child around the same time. One's a boy, one's a girl. Pregnant pack. But we're not going to talk about that. Aside from that, I don't know. I just find that really, really, really weird. Also, watch the sentence, watch the length of your sentences because you are using commas and stuff like that. But when you overly, like when you make them really, really long and really, really wordy at that, it gets confusing. It looks like a jumbled up mess and you have to make sure it looks nice and pretty. Pretty pictures make the money and that's facts. That's definite facts. So just work on that. Also, there is repetition in with, um, in with the scenes in general. Like, you use the word enemies a lot. You use the word trenches a lot. And it's fine. It's not bad. It's just you can't keep using, like, oh, we have to fight against the enemies because they're on enemy lines. And we need to beat the enemies because our enemies are your enemies. And these enemies need to be beaten right now because guess what? There are enemies. And that is a lot of repetition. You space it out. You, you you do space out the repetition in your story. But, like I said, it's just... I caught it. And it was just a little weird. A little weird. Especially when all the traumatic stuff does happen in the trenches. Like... Like, it was just weird. When, they, when you were talking about them fighting in the trenches, I thought it was cool. Like, oh, we'll get to learn a little bit more about trench warfare. Now, that subject I am highly knowledgeable on. When you talk about the trenches, you don't talk about, how should I say, now historians don't come after me now. I, I am not a historian. I just know a lot about the subject, at least. I like to think I know a lot about the subject. But aside from that, in trenches, it's nasty. You have trench food. You have a bunch of water, smelly men, smoking cigars, not bathing, not eating right. The food that they serve there is basically crap. Not to also mention a bunch of sickness and disease, men crying and screaming and hollering due to traumatic experiences. Not to also mention men barely be sleeping. Like, you get you be sleeping on the job, they'll be like, oh, John's sleeping on the job, let's cap this fool. That's basically how it goes. So, there's a lot of stressful stressfulness, and I'm just really not getting that when you're talking about the trenches. It just feels like you're telling like, oh, they're in the trenches and they get bombshelled. That's scary, but at the same time, I just want more emotion out of it. I want more as the bomb rain. I don't know. I, I can't think of a sentence off the top of my head. But at the same time, I just want more there. I want more trench experiences because you're writing historical fiction. And at the very least, a historical part of your fiction needs to be a little bit more correct. Like, unless you're changing something or something like that. But at the very least, if you're going to mention something that has actual facts and evidence within history, you need to at least get the basis of it down. You have to get the grittiness of it, the deep grittiness of it. Talk about the diseases, the giant rats that they had there eating their food and sleeping with the men. Talk about how when when shells went off, some men would end up being buried alive under the dirt, and if they could not get them out within, like, what, five minutes or so, they would just give up and let them die. Because to be honest, it's better to let them die under there than let them die on a field with a bunch of shells and gunfire. Horses were also a part of trench warfare, as, well, not as much, but when they would ride over into enemy territory, they would literally have a bunch 
of horses being flipped over, bombshelled. The smell of the dead was atrocious. Or so I've been told. I'm not speaking from experience. I hope you guys know that. I'm just speaking from facts. Like, the smell of, like, the trenches were terrible. There was dead men everywhere. You'd be lucky if you were shot out there and you were picked up within the first two days. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, you would have to survive out there, leg shot and bleeding and everything, for two days, bro. I can barely take it when I stub my toe. That is not the vibes. Not the vibes. But aside from that, I... Let me stop going into so much detail. But just work on giving more descriptive details of how harsh the conditions were inside those trenches because trust and believe them conditions were not pretty like i would cry over stubbing my toe like like oof i I could not do it i honestly could not do it but just work on making it more historically accurate even though it's a fictional story that's just my part of it also when you are talking about these notes are in order are not in order so just bear with me also um when you use a semicolon when you're referring to steven like when philip sees the bomb coming down and he says the bomb coming down my friend semicolon steven semicolon those should not be semicolons if anything there only should be dashes that should be a dash yeah guys i'm I'm catching up on grammar watch out now wink but aside from that you need to make those dashes instead of semicolons because that's just not grammatically correct. And it's also not the right punctuation either. So if you're gonna put anything there, it would be dashes and not semicolons. But either way though, commas would just be as efficient as a dash. But semicolons, throw that out. That should not be there. Um, my One of my last notes, oh God, that, there's a lot of notes. But one of my last notes is that you said Philip. Oh, when you said Philip saw the bomb, but no one saw the bomb, that was worded really weirdly. You have a couple of weirdly worded sentences without within the novel, which I kind of find a little bit weird. But at the same time, like I said, this is your, like this is like story only has five chapters. Not like it's gonna be published tomorrow, so you have plenty of time to work on it fix these little mistakes that I see here and there but you have like a few weirdly worded sentences like in stuff that don't even make like event like in the events that are taking place it does not make sense like it says Philip saw the bomb and his face washed in horror as his friend Stephen was like blown up or something but then you say no one saw the bomb it just it didn't just didn't make any sense to me to me, somebody else can have a completely different opinion than what I have. Somebody else can be like, oh, Misty, you're not making any damn sense. That totally made sense. Well, everybody's different. To me personally, that just didn't make sense. These are honestly just my opinions. Guys, I'm not God, and I'm not a deity. I am not a ruler. I'm not here to make a fan base. I'm here to do my job, and I'm here to give advice. I'm here to write, to learn, to bond with people throughout the whole entire writing community and so much more. So please, 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 please keep that in mind as I review your guys' novel. Because I've gotten a couple of, like, I love you guys. love you guys to death. But I've gotten a couple of emails, like fan mail, which uh-huh, made me feel all special, you know. Cheeks are rosy and stuff like that. But like, um, 
I'm, I'm not God. I, my word is not final. Everything that I say will always not be right to you. These are just me. My opinions, the way I see things, and the way that I believe things should work. Okay? If you guys don't have the same opinions as I do, that's completely fine. 100% yo, okay yo. My Spanish professor is going to kill me later on in life. But aside from that, don't take me too seriously, but don't take me too lightly either. Because these notes could actually help you within the future. Who knows? Maybe some of the notes that I tell you today can be the same exact notes that somebody has told you prior or told you like earlier or later on in life. You never know. So you always have to take the bigger things and always try to focus on making sure that you are correct and so much more. But enough of me blabbing on and on. Those are all of my notes for the Renaissance of War by Kim and just saying, Kim, you are such an amazing writer. Such an amazing writer. Such an amazing person. Your personality brightens up the room it brightens up the day you deserve the world and back and so much more i swear to you i swear to you but i can't i I mean it i truly truly do do never ever ever let anyone say that your work is a not good enough b not poetic enough or c not to the liking of the audience because your work meets standards and your work is amazing nothing that you have sent me has ever made me disappointed or ever made me think wow she's going down if anything you can only build yourself back up for this story to only have five chapters it is good of course there's going to be mistakes because there's only five chapters but never let anyone say that your work is too bad never let anyone convince you that your work is not good enough because guess what it is amazing silent witness bruh deliciosos don't let anyone ever 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 tell you otherwise i mean it i really do mean it but that's enough of my my, enough of my emotional confidence given to Kim. That's all that I have for today, guys. And that's all the notes that I have for today. So thank you all for joining me as we've kept it real on Miss Little Mode. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And guess what, guys? It's spring break. And I cannot wait to guess what? Sleep, sleep, and sleep. I love doing what I do. But you guys seriously kill me with all the reviews I get. Keep sending them. Keep sending them. But gosh, dang, I'm tired. Aside from that, guys, have a nice weekend. Have a nice spring break. Have a nice Easter break and so much more. Keep it real, guys. Catch you guys later.